So I think um, it's not exactly that it doesn't make clear that he's for government. But the question the reader would have is, well, why? You've just made the case that they're, uh, in effect, bumbling idiots whose incentive are, are to be selfish and not, you know, do things that are valuable. Like, why? Why could the? Why could those kind of people do anything good? What is? What's different about protecting rights and all of these other things you're talking about? I guess, yeah. And, and part of it is. It's not clear what protecting rights means in this context, um, but it's we get a picture of government that government is inefficient and competent, and then it's well, there's things that they could do, but we're not told exactly what those things are or why government can actually do them. Yeah, and I guess also to your point too, if like, okay, here's what government can do. Well, hey, those are really important things, and you just told them that they're you just said that they're bumbling idiots, right? Like then, like I don't want government to do really important things. Like if they're going to screw up, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, one of the other, you know, infrastructure, right? Like you want them protecting individual rights. I, I think that's an interesting sort of angle too. <clears throat> Building off that, yeah, yeah. So I think, um, so I think there's there's something that's a little bit. How would you put it? There's something a little bit confusing about the argument, um, if, and not even confusing. The be, what? There's something about the argument that is, well, at minima, you can put it. It's not how objectivists will argue this point. It's not the objectivist take on it. So what it really amounts to is, <clears throat> look, there's. You think government can solve problems? It can't solve those problems. So we have to settle for a government that protects rights. Um, you could make the parallel to the way that people talk about, some people will talk about altruism. Man, if only people would live for others, we would all have bliss. But guess what? People are selfish, even, even people who claim to be altruistic. So we have to settle for selfishness. And I'm going to argue, indeed, that's an exact parallel but we'll come back to that in a second. Um, it makes freedom not a positive, but something we have to settle for because we can't efficiently achieve these things that on the face are very desirable, which is that government is you know, making sure that basic research is done and that poor people are getting services and so on. Uh, you know, Alas, it's inefficient. We have to settle for it. Now, the reason I say that that example with altruism is uh, not an accidental analogy, this goes to, and I think it was you, Seth, who um, pointed this out, or no, it was Daniel, I'm sorry. So Daniel pointed out that um, the uh, politicians acting in their own self-interest is problematic. So. There's um, there's definitely a school of economics that thinks about government incentives in this way, which is, look, government actors are self-interested just like everyone else, and therefore we have to analyze institutions in the same way we'd government institutions, just like we'd analyze private institutions. And then it turns out that you know actually the public sector 
it runs into all of these problems and can't solve the things that we want it to solve. Um, and there's there's real value in uh, that whole school, but put that way, it's simply wrong. So the here's the key sentence. The problem is that most people do not recognize that the people who work in government are rational actors who are trying to maximize their self-interest. So the implication is if people in government were altruistic and they weren't trying to maximize their self-interest, then they could fix all these problems, but we're just too damn selfish. So that should at least send up some flags. Um, now, what makes this tricky is that the economic way of thinking about it is what like they wouldn't really put it in terms of self-interest exactly so it's that they would put it more like um people in government face incentives and respond to incentives just like everybody else and what it really is doing is blurring the distinction between two kinds of things so one is the view that people in government respond to incentives. Okay, fine. But what counts as an incentive? Um, one view of incentives is, in effect, uh, what you can think of as people are motivated by a handful of obvious, almost perceptual level benefits. Money, power, status something like that. Well, that's just plainly false. People are motivated by a much wider range of things. But if people respond to incentives, means people respond to things that they find valuable in some way. Okay, that's true. But then, what? If, and, and, and so this kind of argument would say somebody like Mother Teresa, who seems to be altruistic, well, she's just doing what she selfishly wants to do. She likes helping other people. But if that's what it means that people respond to incentives, well, then it means almost nothing. Then it's perfectly compatible with the people in government would act, could potentially act altruistically and for the public good. And therefore, this argument doesn't work, or at least it doesn't work the way that it's leveled. So the, the, um, The deepest objection, though, just to get the objectivist view on the table, this is psychological egoism, and it's really wrong. Because it's true that people have to act with a motivation, that people don't act in an unmotivated way. But when we're talking about self-interest, the contrast is what the genus is an ultimate motivation. That is, there's a series of means and ends that I'm seeking that add up to something. And self-interest is the idea that they should add up to what's genuinely beneficial for me. And then the contrast is somebody who says, no, I'm not acting for my own ultimate benefit. I'm ult the ultimate aim at which I'm seeking, the ultimate thing I'm seeking is the benefit of others. And then most people have no ultimate aim. So most people don't even fall under these classifications. And so using this self-interest here and saying everybody's self-interested, it might be your view, but it's definitely not the objectivist view.
Um, the objectivist view is very few people are self-interested. <clears throat> now, very few people are altruistic in this sense. Most people are nothing. Most people fall in the category Ayn Rand thinks of, um, well, I would say one of two things and they overlap a little bit, which is whim worshippers and you could put it kind of common sense values. But they're not um, pursuing any kind of ultimate goal that can be characterized as self-interest or not. And so then you might think, all right, well, that's fine, Watkins, but look, I'm trying to make a point here about the inefficiency of government. And it's still true that most people in government are trying to, you know, get themselves elected. And so, like, that's what I'm trying to say. And that's fine. You, so I think if what you want to highlight is that there's a lot of problems in government that stem from the fact that the main motivation of people is to get elected. I think you can say that. But I think you can say it without introducing a really bad philosophic idea that denies free will and wrecks and degrades the concept of self-interest. I think you could say um, that you know the problem is that the people who work in government uh, are driven in large part by the desire to get reelected, and that this creates incentives that. Um, we should expect to lead to bad results. So I made this point about, like, you, you don't want to formulate it in terms of psychological egoism, egoism, and you can formulate it in terms of incentives, but it still raises the problem that the argument amounts to conceding that, like, the moral ideal would be government solves all of our problems, but alas, it can't. And so there's, there's definitely, we can say at least, no moral element introduced. And I don't think that that's per se like mandatory, right? Like I don't think you're not allowed to write anything that doesn't challenge uh, the moral ideal. But I will say at least you should be really skeptical of that because if you're not explicitly challenging that, you are very likely conceding it. And I think in the end, this piece ends up conceding that, well, we have to settle for something uh, less than the ideal because, alas, we're all selfish. Uh, the fundamental is, like, what do we need government for? And we need it to put force under objective control. And in that kind of scenario, there's no issue of like, oh, does it have the right incentives or something? I mean, there are issues there and libertarians and particularly anarchists will raise certain issues. Um, but there's no issue of incentives in this way because it's not, it's not trying to create values. It's trying to create objectivity in the use of force. And then you can make the point, like with that, you can make the point of um, when government enters the economic realm that's governed by value creation, it has neither the knowledge nor incentives to create value. I still don't, there's still ways which that can go really wrong um, in that it tends to have a collectivist standard of value built into it. But it's the kind of argument that you can make um, about, well, why can't government effectively, you know, build roads or conduct uh, 
or at least fun, basic research. But if you're going to make those arguments, it needs to be made at a much more concrete level. So it's not enough to say if some like the the literature and basic research is actually pretty complicated and not at all clear cut. And if your argument is, well, look, they don't have incentives because they don't have profit and loss. And you don't address the actual arguments made by people who say that actually basic research is a market failure and government can come and step in, then you're not really dealing with the argument because their whole view, and we'll come to that. So, um, well, in fact, we'll come to it right now. He um, gives, in effect, the critique of the free market view where it's the profit motive, free markets, however you want to put it, are short term. And then his answer is go, well, what is profit? Well, it's an insignia of production. But that doesn't answer it. It could be an insignia of production and people would concede that, but they'd say, well, it's short-term per, uh, production. It's Wall Street saying, hey, our quarterly results are up, but we cut all our R&D. Now, again, there's answers to these things, but the um, but it doesn't actually address the objections that people have and the and 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 in, and the basic reason that this problem comes up throughout the piece i think is the issue of delimitation so i think this is a good example of a very ambitious article and i love ambition i love trying to weave together a whole bunch of different strains and insights but the risk is that you open up a whole bunch of issues that you don't have the space to deal with sufficiently. And I definitely think in this case, um, if you're going to raise everything from you know, inequality to welfare to basic research to infrastructure, you're almost certainly going to run into um, delimitation problems that you can't really deal with the various points that are being raised particularly not if you take seriously why people disagree with you. And look, it's not that the people who disagree with us about um, you know, government funding basic research don't know that government doesn't have a profit motive. It's that they think that either A, that's a virtue, or B, that that negative, and this is the more common view, or at least let's say the more sophisticated view, is that that's outweighed by the fact that the free market doesn't have an incentive here either. That there's things that a free market and a profit motive doesn't incentivize that we really want done. And so what are we going to turn to if not the government? And I don't think this sufficiently deals with that kind of argument. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. One part I glossed over, and I apologize for jumping around. This might be confusing, but uh, this was really the point I wanted to drive home. So I made the point a few minutes ago that you need to have a conception of we need government to bring force under objective control. That is not an economic function. It's not a profit and loss function. And so it's not open to the kind of incentive issues that I'm talking about. If you don't make that point explicitly, then the obvious objection people will have is, well, doesn't that mean that any function of government 
should be taken over by the private sector. So this goes to the point um, that I forget whether it was uh, Seth or Stephanie um, were raising about um, like, don't you need, I think Seth was made this point, like you need a positive case for government and, uh, or you'll sound anti-government. That That's exactly what would make it sound anti-government is by logically, if the point is government doesn't have profit and loss incentives, the implication is everything should have profit and loss incentives. And so that has to be kind of carved out um, clearly. Imagine that tomorrow we could have government actors who are a bunch of perfect altruists. Is the view that then government could solve these problems? Well, I think no. Um, certainly my view is it would be incredibly worse. And the and so then the question is, all right, well, what is my argument really adding up to or what kind of argument am I really trying to make? I think what you can say. Well, here's how I think about it or one aspect of how I think about it. Thomas Sowell stresses this idea of that, you know, the left judges things by intentions rather than results. And you could raise the question of, we've seen government fail in area after area after area. And yet we don't question, should government even be doing this? Are there reasons why it keeps failing? And the I don't think that in the end, um, the answer is, well, they just don't have the right incentives. Or that's not the full answer. Because it's true, they don't have the incentives. They don't have the knowledge in order to achieve, if, if the goal is we want uh, prosperity and innovation and knowledge, um, I don't think that it, it can do those things. But the whole reason that those things are never questioned is because the intentions are altruistic. And if your answer is, well, too bad, because human beings aren't altruistic enough, I guess we have to settle for freedom. I think that's a horrible argument. It's what Ayn Rand uh, called the argument from depravity in um, conservatism and obituary. And it's a Hayek has kind of a different version of it, but it's, I think, amounts to the same thing is we're not, we don't, we're not smart enough for freedom in his view. But in one way or another, it's that freedom is not an ideal. It's just what we have to settle for, given our limitations. Um, but the real issue is that the reason nobody questions whether government should do this is because they think that it's morally good. And the problem is that it's not morally good. It's that when the government is deciding, oh, this is the basic research that deserves funding, it's... And you have some of these arguments in here about it's taking money away from private people to pursue their values and what they find valuable. Um, I mean, there's a whole issue of the money will often get wasted or go to politically correct causes or Ayn Rand. So this is a, here's, a, here's a really good question that I always encourage people to ask. And again, it's not because Ayn Rand's infallible, but it's she's brilliant. And um, we should really think about how she approaches things. When did she write an article or several articles like this 
uh, I, I'm not thinking of capitalism then an ideal. I'm actually thinking of in um, philosophy who needs it, the establishing of the establishment. And there's a couple other essays along those lines. But she's talking about the way that a mixed economy works. And in particular, um, there she's talking about the way in which government uh, support for ideas or enterprises, the way that that works. And it's, it, it, it would be a really good exercise to compare how she thinks about um, the kind of incentives created by government and how she writes about them and compare it to the um, public, um, I forget what the School of Economics is called. Public uh, choice theory. Yeah, public choice theorists uh, talk about it. Because again, it's not the public choice theorists don't have brilliant, important insights to make, but it's all from a wrong moral framing that can kind of set you off. And there, I think what you see in Ayn Rand is the way, the right way to think about um, th these kinds of issues. Because again, you can totally talk about you know, the twisted kind of incentives. Um, but you can do it from a, a, a moral perspective and in a way that clarifies why it is that a proper government isn't open to the same objections as uh, that you're giving to, you know, government interference in the economy. So Bonnie says, most people assume that government can and must fix everything and shows that they literally can't. The why not is the uh, problem. Um, yes, with one sort of caveat, I don't think you're making this mistake, but I just want to clarify it. So you might have the question, well, look, if we show that government literally can't, so let's take, set aside this argument, because I think it's more, is better than this in his piece, goes beyond it. But if you just take like the basic Hayekian article uh, argument, well, government just doesn't have the knowledge it needs to centrally plan an economy. Why is that not a sufficient argument against central planning? Now, you might say, well, it's also immoral. Okay, but what does that add? Why wouldn't it convince somebody to go, hey, even if you want government to centrally plan and you think it's morally noble, it can't. Why isn't that? A sufficient argument, even if we think there's more to say, like why won't that convince people? Well, part of the answer, um, Ayn Rand in uh, I believe it's Faith and Force. Yeah, so it's Faith and Force and Philosophy who needs it. She says that um, if people believe that you know something is moral, they're not going to believe that it's impossible. And I think that's right, but we want to kind of delve in a little bit deeper to that. The basic issue is that um, every moral view is propped up and integrated with a view of human nature, of human beings, of human society, that you can't quite disentangle them. And so if you think about the kind of view of altruism, or at least one variant of it, but her view basically amounts to if people think something is moral, they're not going to accept that it can't be practiced. They're not going to grant you, okay, then we'll just settle for an immoral society because it's impossible to achieve our moral ideal. And by the way, that's something good in people, not something bad. Like you can say, well, that's irrational. You shouldn't, 
you know, hinge your view of what's possible on your kind of view of what's moral. Um, but it's precisely their sense that morality is to be practiced, that they're not fully able to be convinced that, okay, this is the good, this is the moral, and we should just do something else because we can't achieve that. Um, but the view that it's moral, so why is collectivism viewed as moral? Well, on one level, you could say, well, because people believe it's right to sacrifice. But it's richer than that. I mean, it's off, more awful than that, but it, it involves more than that. In, in essence, it's a certain view of man as the individual's not competent to govern his own life. And in particular for collectivists, it's that there's this kind of neo-mystic elite who have access to knowledge, including moral knowledge, more than the individual, and they do have the power to solve problems. Um, and so, yeah, you can give some arguments about incentives, but the at the end of the day, the kind of mental model that people are relying on without realizing it is, well, look, there's people who are smarter than me, or I'm one of the people smarter than the, you know, hoi polloi, and um, they could solve the problems if people stopped mucking it up and getting in the way. Certainly, if selfish people stopped ruining it with their selfishness. And given that mental model, unless you uproot it, saying that, well, there's no price information or something like that, that is at most like throwing a pebble into the ocean. It's not uprooting the, um, the view that is making plausible to them that government can... Because it's not in the end, their view is not really government can solve these things. It's I could solve these things if only I could force my views on people. And you could tell them, well, you don't have the right knowledge or incentives, but no. I mean, like, I can see what's right and people aren't doing it. If they did it, things would work out right. That's really the kind of mentality that you're dealing with here and why what you really need to rob it of is the idea that you should that the moral is you imposing things on people and treating them as sacrificial pawns in your central planning scheme. Uh, Mary Lean. I was just going to say that um, the moral has to be chosen. So you you can't to force somebody to be good is a contradiction in terms. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. Even if I do the wrong thing, it's better than being forced to do somebody else's idea of the right thing. It, it's like parents who control kids as opposed to letting them learn by making mistakes. It's, it's just an insane attitude. You cannot force people to be good. Not if the good is objective and self-interested, right? If the good is that like you serve the collective, you sacrifice, you surrender, you give up, you obey. Well, that, yeah, like that we can force on people. That's evil. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 we agree. But my point is that, um, that the evil of forcing the good on people or the, the hopelessness of forcing the good on people is not at all obvious given conventional ethics. And indeed, I think 
the weakest argument is conservatives who say, yeah, of course the good is sacrificing yourself, but you shouldn't force it on people. Um, it's a lame argument and it doesn't actually convince anybody in part because it's selfish because what they argue that seems plausible is they go, well, look, if you, if you sacrifice because the government makes you or people tell you you have to, you don't deserve moral credit for that. That's true. Like people get that. Yeah. You only do it if you choose it. But that assumes that morality is about you getting moral credit. No, morality is about you sacrificing, you giving up to hell with your moral credit. We're not interested in your moral credit. We're interested in your sacrifice and service. And we sure as hell can get that by forcing you. So on a, on a sacrificial ethics, um, it's just not true that you can't force the good on people. It's only with an objective, uh, self-interested version of ethics that you can't force the good on people, um, which doesn't mean that you can't make that argument because there is a sense in which people have, people, people have a sense that that's right, even if they conceptualize in all kinds of bad ways. So if everybody sacrifices, then what? Yeah, well, then Tui speech. I mean, that's the, that's the goal, right? Um, so let me try to kind of summarize this and make this sort of useful for you. So again, I think there's a lot of good in here. Uh, and in particular, um, I like that it has personality involved. I like that you're trying to weave together a lot of threads. I, I criticize the execution and that I think it wasn't delimited enough, but the delimitation shouldn't be taken to mean, oh, I have to talk about, like, I can only write a piece on like government research uh, funding. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the way that you would have to raise these things is such that you don't feel you have to disprove on its own terms. Well, I have to prove that uh, government can't effectively do research and that government can't effectively build the roads. Like, um, you can raise all these issues, but if you're raising, but if you, what, to go back to my earlier point, if what you do is explain the causality through the difference between government as an agent to remove force from human affairs and bring objectivity to them versus government in the realm of value creation, if you explain why that's wrong, then you can bring in lots of examples of value creation and and weave that throughout without it opening a can of worms because you've dealt with it at the fundamental level but when you haven't done with, dealt with it at the fundamental level then it feels like well you have to deal with it at the concrete level and all of those have sophisticated arguments on both sides and you don't have time to deal with them all so that's really what i'm arguing is that if you get in the fundamental distinction between where government works and where it doesn't then you can do this great weaving of different issues in a delimited way. And then the second point I'm making is to that you can make a public choice type of argument, but think about how to um, integrate it with a moral perspective better. And the lead I gave you is look at how Ayn Rand does that uh, for, for some leads because it's tricky, but it can be done. And so I'm definitely not telling you you can only write moral arguments or that you can't raise these public choice concerns. I think they're really clarifying for people. I do think there's a lot of people who've never thought about the kind of incentives government faces, um, but it's you never want to do it in a way that concedes the moral high ground to the other side. And so that's sort of the, the two big pieces I make is give the fundamental causal 
reason for what government can and can't do, and then think about um, properly integrating uh, the incentive issue with uh, the moral perspective.